Hello peeps, it's Matthew here. Before the podcast starts, I just want to make a a little appeal to your time. Now very kindly, more than one listener nominated us for the annual vote for favourite podcast from N-World. So we're on the list. We're on the shortlist both for this programme, the magazine show, and also for our AP. And I was just hoping that you might take time out of your busy schedules to uh, follow the link in the show notes or go to nworld.org and vote for us as your favourite podcast. Or you can vote for your actual favourite podcast and us. Cast as many votes for podcasts as you like, but you can only vote once. Right, now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 171 of Effect, the Community Content Masterclass. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And for a moment there, I thought you'd forgotten that it was your turn to kick off the episode. And I was like, uh, yeah, you're going to start, you're going to start, but you did. So well done. Um, But that was about the, 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 the most elegant beginning that our gold level patrons will ever have heard because most of our it listeners was... don't get to hear the crap we do at the beginning of the episode but uh, <laughs> our very top levels of our patronage do and they normally have us mucking about speaking over each other interrupting each other on purpose that was so fucking professional and you thought i'd forgotten i was announcing it was just well you have forgotten that you've been announcing you've been announcing before it's not unprecedented anyway no, anyway yeah, carry on carry on I'm, dave. I'm dave and in the show today uh we've got lots of stuff as usual now as the name suggests we have um some conversations around uh content community masterclass so at dragon meet which we will also talk about um matthew held a seminar uh, at 12 o'clock on on the saturday with a wonderful panel of experts and Matthew went into that recording the uh, the session so we could play it to you all here. We thought it was an easy way of getting free content. <laughs> However, as we all know, Matthew's technical ability, albeit significantly better than mine, occasionally lets us down. And, and I don't know why it didn't record, but it didn't record, did it, mate? It did record. All of 0.02 seconds record. <laughs> Excellent. I have so, a sneaking. So one thing I so what, haven't what you quite need to do, out. you need to unzip that. Then isn't it? That's what it is. This is a, a <laughs> compressed seminar. No, no. I seriously thought that may be what had happened when I saw the file size, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it wasn't. And um, the, the the other weird thing, slightly about it, is it appears to record in zero point zero zero two seconds of uh, about fifteen minutes in. So I thought, well, it isn't. Obviously, you know, I'd pressed the button properly, but actually I just wonder whether the clock's wrong on my recorder. And yeah. um, I just, you know, slightly um, trembled as I pressed the button and pressed it on and <laughs> off again. Yeah, I think that's the only excuse I can think of. Yeah, but there you go. Yeah. But anyway, with your with your head held low in shame, you have in done shame. something to redeem yourself, which uh, thankfully you were able to get Nick Brook and Diana Probst back 
well, at least on a on a line on Zoom, and you had a chat with them, didn't you? you had an interview with them talking about community content and all their great advice uh, about how to go about doing that. So it wasn't wasted. It was uh, it was it was it was redeemed. So yes, well done. It was just about redeemed. Now, what we didn't get there is the brilliant content on the day from your friend of mine, Lloyd Guyane, who yes. um, who joined at the last minute because actually the panel was also going to have. Uh, the guys from the Stockholm Cartel, uh, Pelle and uh, Johan. Indeed. But of course, COVID restrictions stopped them coming to Dragon Meat at all. Um, so we can, and... we can come to that in a moment because we will talk yes, about Dragon yeah, Meat. That's, so, that's all about um, Dragon Meat, isn't it? So and later you on. finished doing what we're going to talk about. No, I haven't. <laughs> you know what you were saying earlier about talking over each other and, and just being really unprofessional? I think, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just doing that on purpose. I know. You just wanted to make the point, didn't you, that you are totally unprofessional. So anyway, um, what we've got before that, obviously, is uh, we've got to thank our new patrons. So we have a new patron this this time around. Fabulous news. Thank you. Uh, I need to do that. And then we've got um, an extended world of gaming where we've got a couple of things to talk about. Um, Salvage Union, uh, a new game that's up on Kickstart at the moment. And we also have an interview with the Salvage Union people, which we managed to take at Dragon Meat. And the final Yeah, thing, that was great, we're wasn't gonna, it? Because and we'll, they come kind of... we'll, come, we'll come to that in a okay. moment. Let me finish don't, my opening don't, segment. Don't, don't, <laughs> if don't I may. tag me, Dave. Don't tag me. Ah, ah. <sighs> yes. So, so the, the other thing that we're going to talk about is Dragon Meat, of course. Now, who did we see at Dragon Meat, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. This is going to be the best episode ever. Ah, go on. Uh, who did we see at Dragon Meat? I, yes, um, I'm segueing into your previous interruption about oh, talking uh, to the the ley line the the ley line team. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> so one of our patrons had, who's already backed and is proselytising about uh, about this this new game Salvage Union had asked you because you live close to him, Dave. Um, whether you could pick up the sort of trash can edition, I think they call it, or ash can edition that beta, they were giving. They're free, calling it the beta quick start is what it is, officially. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what they call it. Um, anyway, it's in print. Uh, you get it if you back it. You Well, even if you don't back it, I think you can get get it in PDF format. But if you'd backed it and you turned up at Dragon Meat, you could get the print version. And uh, uh, we met them. Um, uh, Aaron, I think was his name. I can't remember. Aled, Aled, that's it, that's it. We met Aled (laughs) and he immediately started explaining what the game was all about. So I said, hold on, hold on, hold on, let me get my recorder out. Yeah. We can capture this. And so we've got a little bit of that to say. So that was great. Yeah, we can talk a bit about that. And I've I've got a copy of the um, the Beta Quick Start in my hands. It's actually a lovely little book. Um, Mm. But we can talk about that in a bit. Uh, in a bit of time. So, first yes. and foremost, the most important thing that we need to do every time, thank our new patrons. Who do we have this week, Matt? So, this week we have Dr. Weather, <laughs> who I'm sure is going to give us all a wonderful white Christmas with his superheroic <laughs> weather control powers. Although, we also know that his secret identity is Aaron. So, Aaron... <laughs> Thank yes. you very much for yes. uh, for for your pledge. And Aaron has already been an active member of the Discord, which is wonderful. And as we always say, if you pledge, 
come to the Discord, it's the nicest place on the on internet. On the internet, yeah, exactly, it is. Brilliant. Well, uh, thank you and welcome, Aaron. It's great to have you on board and thank you for your support. It's uh, always massively appreciated. Cool. So, right um, World of Gaming, Dragon Meat. What were your impressions of Dragon Meat, Dave? Um, I think my principal impression was of um, comfort. And by that, I mean, I felt very comfortable in the environment with the vast majority of people wearing masks. Uh, mm. I didn't have any concerns about COVID. They, 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 they weren't quite as full as usual, but actually we had a steady flow of, of people through. So it still felt quite busy. Um, yeah, I thought I thought it was an excellent convention again, considering that the Omicron crap had, had, had all come out about ten days beforehand, and mm-hmm. I think everybody must have had a nervous moment um, uh, in the run into it. I think it was it was a great show, well put on, fabulous to meet everybody, um, great to chat to to John Dodd and, uh, and Miramanga and oh, well, too many others to mention, but um, uh, yeah, I think my first impression was. It was a really well-run show and run in a very safe and compliant way. So very well done to the whole team. Yeah, I think that's good. And in an upbeat way, because obviously I'm I'm sure that people's hearts sank when Omicron hit and then when the various restrictions were announced. But, you know, we didn't let that stop the thing. It was quieter. But actually, in a way, um, you know, it was, for example, it was Diana's first time at Dragon Meet. She'd come especially to join... Mm. Uh, the panel nice um and she doesn't normally like crowds so you know i think actually the fact that it was quieter it was probably good for her um i'm not sure that she enjoyed necessarily even the 1800 visitors or whatever that we had this year um much at all because she doesn't like crowds but um yeah, no, that's but, fair enough yeah but it did mean that there was quite a lot of space uh not just space around stalls but you know, all the traditional pinch points of the slightly weird layout at that particular hotel where we have Dragon Meat yeah. weren't pinch points after all. There was no crowding around the top of the escalators or stuff like that. No, and I think the way they organised the opening as well was very good. So they, mm-hmm. they, they made sure that all of the likes of us, you know, the stall holders and the people actually running stuff, were all well away from the entrance hall long before any of the public turned up. And yeah. that initial, I think, a lot of people turned up a little bit later because that mm, initial flood, that initial bit to be that terrible. initial flood wasn't flooding. It was really no. quiet that first fifteen or twenty minutes, and I think we all yeah. looked at each other and thought, "Okay, <laughs> this is uh, this is going to be quiet as the quietest dragon meet ever." But then it mm. really picked up. So I think people just kind of took it a bit easier and came a little bit later, um, which worked really well. I think. Yeah, it's great. So I mean, it was fabulous. It was great. I got to see, and we got to see. So many of our patrons that we don't see very often. So many of our friends who aren't patrons. There were some notable um, absences of people that we would love to have caught up with who, who didn't come along this time around. But, you know, next year. Um, yeah. And it was great. It was really good. Really, really good fun. And yes. we sold quite a lot of stuff for Free League. And, I mean, we were, uh, I think, you know, surprised. Surprised? I'm not sure surprised. But um, gratified to see that both Fairson and Merck Boyer did very very well it was a real yeah. pity that that Pella and Johan couldn't come over from Sweden which completely understand they that would that have became, had a lot of fans became totally impractical for them with Omicron yeah. kicking off um but just like to say we 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 stole their space <laughs> which was great because that gave us a bit more room and we sold a lot of Morkborg Merkborg for them 
Yeah, um, and I think at this point I ought to make a bit of an apology because we, we sold quite a few of the new GM screens and quite a lot of Heretic is part of that Borg stuff. And um, um, Pella hadn't actually intended to sell any of that because our North American listeners who'd who'd uh, captured the programme haven't yet had theirs. There's been an issue with the distribution of it. So he was going to hold that back from Dragon Meat. So, yeah. in, in fairness to North America listeners, so if you're in North America and you're still waiting for your Merkborg from the uh, from the Heretic Kickstarter, I apologise. Yeah, failure of communication on my part there. I'll take all the blame. I'll take the blame for everything that went wrong at uh, Dragon Meat. If that's okay with you, Dave. Uh, well, if you insist, then that's fine. Uh, yeah, and we no, and but, we but put think, that out on it, sale, and we sold yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, but I mean it. If you are listening in the States and you're seething a little bit, again, like apologies for that for that sort of misunderstanding on our part. But it's a brilliant thing. So when you get it, you're gonna love it. Now yeah. I didn't I you know, I I'm not gonna buy You're not a more old person, really. I, I well I am ish, but I've I've never played it. Um I wasn't gonna buy any of the extra stuff. But looking at it, I don't think I've seen a better GM screen ever. Bar none. Mm. It's brilliant. It is really good. So if you're waiting for that then apologies that we inadvertently sold some here in the UK. But when you get it, you're going to love it because it's great. I mean, there was a bit of a hoo-ha, wasn't there, about um, uh, about the similar sort of thing happening with another company. I'm desperate trying to remember the name. Where there was there was a bit of abuse. Very stupid. What was stupid, that? Well, at Dragon stu- is this? Yeah, stupidly directed at one of the vendors down in the lower trade hall who was selling... I don't think they were even selling... Oh, what the hell was it? I should have made a note. Um, but they were selling uh, Carbon 2185, and it was the oh, Carbon right. yeah. 2185 Kickstarter, which has had some delays and had some problems. Now, this yeah, vendor... Yeah, this is the, this is the even, 5e cyberpunk thing. Um, I don't know if it's 5e think, or not, but um, the, the vendor anyway, wasn't even representing the publishers. They were just a vendor selling a range oh. of stuff. And I think they actually had pre-existing copy not any mm. of the new it wasn't like they were inadvertently selling stuff that should have been coming out on the kickstarter it's just that they were selling some carbon 2185 <laughs> you know oh. some line and there were people there who gave them a lot of abuse apparently and um dragon meat have turned around and said you know well actually th- this wasn't reported to us until after the event but mm. they're going to do everything they can to try and um, you know, support the vendor, and if they can find the people who are being abusive, then naturally they won't be invited back. Mm. Um, but they were being abusive about the the, the delay, delays and the problems with um, Kickstarters. With that particular Kickstarter. With that yeah. particular Kickstarter, um, totally unfairly. You know, mm. I mean, we we've had uh, there was one fellow who came up and talked to us, who was who was saying that he doesn't do Kickstarters anymore because he's had a couple of bad experiences. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, and, and I, I sympathise with them, um, mm. but that's the risk you take with a Kickstarter. And he was he was talking. We were talking to him about Mythic Britain, which we'll talk about a bit in a minute. Um, yeah. And saying he wasn't going to back it because he'd had bad experiences. Now, one of the other customers there was was great and chipped in and said, "Well, actually, um, actually, Free League do a great job with their Kickstarters. And yes, sometimes they're a bit delayed, and some of the early ones." had some bumps in the road, but they've delivered on them all pretty much and they've learned a lot of lessons. So they're pretty good at p- pulling through on their on their Kickstarter commitments. 
But I can see that. But again, people just need to recognise. And I think this is partly Kickstarter's success has caused this problem. In that the more and more that you use it, the more and more you kind of feel almost like it's a shop where you buy something and it just takes six months or a year for it to arrive. Yeah. Um, but it isn't that. And everyone who uses it needs to remember that it isn't that. And we've, we've got, I mean, Western, we've both backed. I don't know whether we'll ever see that now. And, yeah. you know, that's just one of those things. And the circumstances around why Western has suffered such terrible delays are are, are, are very, you know, difficult yeah. circumstances yeah. for those involved. And we totally understand you know, that that comes first. So it's fine. And I recognize that it was a bit of a gamble at the start. As you do with every Mm. Kickstarter, you run the risk it's not going to deliver. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, you know, again, uh, I'm glad that nobody gave us a hard time for selling this, but I guess they're not American, so they'd already got their copies. um, No. But Um, I guess guess all we could do is apologize and, and make sure that next time we make sure, you know, it's a learning experience for us. This is, We've done yes. Dragon Meat twice. We've done UK Games Expo once on our own, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're still quite new at this game, but we've learned a valuable yeah. lesson, which is to make sure that we double check with all the stock that's been sent to us that there's nothing that's embargoed on any of it or any any issues with any of it. Yeah. So um, we won't make the same mistake again. No, we won't. We'll make different mistakes next time. Well, of course. And obviously, um, now, anyone, um, anyone listening who feels there should be more punishment, as Matt's taken all the responsibility for this, I will punch him in the face when I see him next. Twice. Hard. I think that's the sort of abuse that Dragon Meat would frown upon. <laughs> okay, I'll find some less violent form of punishment. So, um, <laughs> uh, Salvage Union. Uh, we were across, yeah. the, uh, across the way from Salvage Union, and, uh, or from, I should say, Leyline Press. And they were lovely people, and we had a nice chat with them, and we got a little interview. Shall we Shall we just crack on and listen to that? Well, shall we quickly just say, so our friend Andy, um, back to Salvage Union, I think you mentioned earlier, he'd asked me to pop along to, to Leyline Press to pick up his copy. They were obviously very generous with these, so they gave me a copy as well. I have it here. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's the, the idea behind the game is principally a, you're, you are part of a sort of mech crew. And you have an overarching crawler that's your home, but also you have mechs that you use to go and salvage stuff. And the game is, is built around that with a with a mechanic where you salvage stuff that you, you manage to get, you can then use to upgrade your mechs. Um, I haven't read it in great detail yet, but it looks lovely. Some of the artwork, again, is, is absolutely spiffing. I mean, if that's a word yeah. I can use uh, you know, outside of the 18th century... It's it's really really good, really nice artwork. Um, mm-hmm. So you picked that up, and as you said, uh, Aled was starting to talk to us about it, and you sat him down in the corner and and had an interview. Yes. So the sound quality is obviously this isn't a great hall. Um, I, I'm quite impressed with the sound quality, considering uh, it was but, better uh, better than the sound quality for the seminar. Then yes, which is zero <laughs> sound quality. Um, but uh, it's a short interview, so let's have a listen to that. I'm here with Aled, Aled from Leyline Press, and you're here to promote your current ongoing Kickstarter for Salvage Union. Absolutely, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so, uh, yeah, Salvage Union, currently got it live on Kickstarter. It's a post-apocalyptic uh, mech RPG. 
um, uh, based on the uh, the based on the Quest engine uh, from the Quest RPG. Um, uh, yeah, essentially, it's um, uh, you play as a group of uh, sort of down on their luck but scrappy salvagers, um, uh, ranging out from the Union Crawler, um, a, a huge mech that sort of. Uh, crawls along the wastes and uh, salvaging uh, everything left from the uh, from the old world as it were um, uh, fighting uh, corpo um, uh, corpo mechs and bio titans and uh, wastelanders and uh, anything and everything in between basically um, I see now one of the challenges with mech based RPGs or well, there are yeah. two challenges with mech based RPGs sure. one is complexity so let's have yes. a look at that one first of all what are you doing about so, the sheer crunch. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the key thing. I mean, I, I love mechs, but um, I also like most of the stuff we do is kind of quite OSR based because we we quite like simple systems, you know. Um, uh, but I really wanted to bring a mech RPG to the table. Now, what we decided this is why we used the Quest RPG. We basically backended all of the crunch. So in play, it's quite simple. You have um, no stats um, except for structure points and heat. So you know that's that's. The, the only stats you have. Everything else is systems and modules. So they're basically the narrative abilities, analogous to the abilities that you have in Quest. Um, but then what we also do is we say, right, okay, you can still custom build your mech, you can custom build all of your systems and modules, but it's all done in downtime. So it's the kind of thing that you can go away, pour through the book between sessions, sort of, you know, make that mech build and, you know, sort of that character creator, the RPG sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, then come back to the table and then in play, it's um, it's crazy simple. We've got a single D twenty variable uh, resolution mechanic, um, and um, yeah, that, that's kind of it really for for the dice rolling. Um, everything else is handled um, using. We've got sort of two meta currencies, if you like. Um, so we've got heat and we've got energy points, mm -hmm. um, and um, so they work on a sort of short rest slash long rest basis. Right. So heat, you can sort of get rid of all your heat in ten minutes, sort of out of combat. But in combat, obviously, your weapons generate heat. Um, people can hack your reactor to sort of, you know, up your heat and stuff yeah. like that. Too much heat roll on the reactor overload table. Um, and then you've got energy points, which are for um, your more impactful abilities. Um, and um, yeah, so then that one will then regenerate, you know, per, per long rest, if you like, so over, over the end of the session. Well, the other great challenge I always think with um, role-playing games, mech-based yeah. role-playing games, is that anime does a very good job of talking about the people in the mix. Yes, but yes. when you're in combat, suddenly it stops being a role-playing game and becomes a tactical game. Yes, How, yeah, no. Have you tackled that one? Um, so, yeah, we've kind of gone with an abstract narrativist approach to it. So mm -hmm. all the distances and ranges are abstracted out. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we don't have, for the most part, variable damage or any of that sort of tactical crunch. We've actually, what we've, and this is why it's Salvage Union and not sort of, you know, combat soldiers from the big corporations you know we we wanted to make it more of a game about um the other stories that you can tell about the things that you might do in mechs as opposed to just combat so um i mean if you flick through we have a quick start out at the moment on the kickstarter so and it's quite comprehensive to be fair yeah, we went I, a bit I want to talk a lot about this yeah um, um so i mean one one of the classes is actually the hauler and mm. they have uh, the atlas uh, which is a large transport mech and it's kind of key, actually, because, um, uh, you know, when we were playtesting, we were finding that, you know, you go out into the waste, you need to salvage all of these parts. Everyone takes sort of combat mechs, just puts loads of weapons on. It's like, well, who's carrying all the stuff back? Yeah, <laughs> you know, gotcha. If you yeah. don't have someone to carry all the stuff, then you, you can't then take anything home with salvaging. you. Yeah. yeah, there's no salvaging. And if there's no salvaging, there's no upgrading, there's no nothing, cool. you know. So, um, uh, yeah, and then 
We also then have the whole trading aspect and stuff like that, because if you want to get those upgrades and do those things, you have to be able to actually trade and like, you know, foster good relationships and, you know, do all of those sorts of missions as well. So. So let's just talk a bit more about this lovely quick start. Now, yeah, sadly, people <laughs> listening to this will, will have missed out on the opportunity to come and pick one up at Dragon yeah. Meat. If you're a backer, you, you could pick one of these up at yeah. Dragon Meat. Uh, and the whole reason I'm here is we're picking one up for one of our patrons. Who said, <laughs> oh, I can't go to Dragon Meat. Can you pick yeah. one up? But it's lovely. It's gorgeous. Now, uh, can do backers get this as a PDF form? Uh, yes, anyone can get this as a PDF form. Oh, it's anybody free, can free to download. Yeah. So, Brilliant. Um, uh, we printed um, a few of them out. We did a, a limited run as a sort of promo thing because, you know, obviously we want to get the word out a bit. And, um, well, it's sort of, I, I was going to go, we were going to go for something a bit cheaper and flimsier, but then it turned out it was actually um, not that much more expensive to make something really nice. So we uh, thought we'd make something for a, really nice. For a trash can edition of a role-playing game, this yeah. is gorgeous. It's full colour. One of the things that I know attracted Andy, our patron, is yeah. its Haynes Manual cover. Exactly, which, yeah. um which yeah, our, our listeners probably one. across the world might not know much about Haynes Manuals, but they are the Bibles of car repair. Yeah. And this is so evocative of those. So, uh, well, that's the, we've actually titled the main book, the core book will be called the Workshop Manual. Oh, so right. um, it'll, have, it'll have that cover. We're actually having the, um, the mech on the front re-illustrated though. Um, so it will be slightly different in that we'll have a full cutaway section of the oh, whole thing. Which of the course detail, the actual Haynes Manuals course, do. Yeah, yeah brilliant. No, that's and it, I've got so. to say the illustrations in here, again, trash can um, edition, Full colour yeah. interior illustrations. All credit to our artists on that one, actually. So um, I will shout them out. Hamish Freiter, um, uh, who did the um, uh, all the lovely banner art, um, uh, which we have oh, here. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Alex Connolly, who did the um, the technical mech illustrations, all of them. And um, also Francesco Silva, who did um, all of our um, uh, all the other illustrations, the pilot illustrations, and um, uh, there's a few spot illustrations in the book as well by Francesco. So um, uh, we also have uh, Mikkel Pledger on board now as well, who's doing some art for us, and um, uh, we have a few writers on board. So Diogo uh, Nogueira um, of Halls of the Blood King um, mm. uh, is um, uh, doing a module for us uh, for the Kickstarter. We've already unlocked that stretch goal. Um, uh, we will be, um, I think we're probably due to announce our next stretch goal soon because we've probably just hit our second stretch goal, I think. So um, the special edition will now come with a dust cover because people wanted the Haynes manual cover as well as the special edition cloth cover. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, okay, we'll, we'll do a dust sleeve so you can have both without buying both books. Um, and I think the next stretch goal will be um, another adventure module, uh, this one written by uh, Virginia Page mm -hmm. of... Um, uh, Star Trek, John Carter and Mars, um, uh, all those modifious properties. And, Brilliant, um, yes. uh, she's written for Black Cats as well, I think. Yes, uh, and, and um, so. she, she's a frequent tweeter, but I can't remember in her Twitter. Oh, yeah, Tabletop Horde, at Tabletop Horde. Tabletop Horde, yes. yeah, yeah, that, um, she's definitely so, one of yeah. the uh, creators I follow there. Yeah. So, I like, this is brilliant. Now, tell me about more, a little bit more about the Kickstarter. It looks pretty finished, so um, what's going to happen yeah. when you hit your... Your, your, so when the Kickstarter campaign ends, we've got we've got a lot more playtesting that we'd like to do. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, from the Kickstarter, we're hoping to build up some community so we can really, really playtest it to death and actually really, really refine it. So that's one of the key things we want to do. The second thing is um, we've got a lot more art that we want to commission. Mm -hmm. um, so um, the Kickstarter is going to pay for all of that art. So um, uh, Hamish is going to do a load more um, uh, spread illustrations, and then we've got um, another fourteen or so mechs uh, planned for. 
sort of you know salvager mechs, mm -hmm. and then we've also got a load of corpo mechs that uh, Mikkel's going to do. Bad guy mechs. Yeah, the bad guy mechs. We've got a load of bio titans we'd love to illustrate as well. Um, so the kaiju style giant yeah. monsters. Uh, we've got one actually on the Kickstarter page that you can see. Um, and um, then the rest of it is um, uh, stretching out all of those systems and modules to give you that basically unlimited sort of you know build potential. So that's all back of the book stuff, but you know flip through at your leisure and then sort of go. I mean, because this is kind of one of the, this is where the tactical complexity, that, that mech game feel comes in, mm -hmm. is the idea that, oh, well, if I take this system and this module and then that thing and that thing, it's that sort of combo out all of those yeah. things makes or a ultra-powerful kind of thing. Yeah, yeah kind yeah. of break the game. And we sort of want you to be able to break the game in a, in a, in a way, well, you know, like... That's kind of the point of building mechs, isn't Yeah, it? exactly, way, yeah. yeah. So we kind of want that to be possible. But also, that if you do want to do that, you have to... You have to be able to collect all of this salvage in the meantime. Yeah. So it's kind of like you have this thing where it's like, okay, I need to get this and I need to get that. And then when you get back, you roll to see what part you get. And then if you don't get the part you want, it's like, okay, now I need to just trade it, which makes it more expensive, you know. Mm. So then, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of that thing where you've got that long-term plan then. You know of, yeah. uh, of how you're doing it so yeah that's that's basically mostly what's left to do but um uh, yeah like, like i say the core of it's already there it's just um uh getting getting the rest of it done so um yeah that's it um everything okay uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. And so we're being interrupted here by Lloyd Guyan, yeah. friend of the show. <laughs> oh, now go hi. ahead and say hi. <laughs> we're, we're coming actually to a conclusion now, aren't we? Yes, we are, I think, anyway. You've persuaded me to back this now. I, when Andy yeah. was backing it, I was like, oh. Yeah, and sure, yeah, just another, and yet another Kickstarter. Having had a long period of yeah. unemployment, I've been kind of going, I'm going to back yeah. fewer Kickstarters, but I'm loving this. I'm yeah. going to put this copy back. Because I Kickstarter. haven't backed it yet, and I'm well, if, if, if you do get uh, if you get your backing in today, yeah. by all means you can take one away. Um, so anyone who backs today can come and collect one. So uh, brilliant, and of course we'll it, be so. releasing this the day after tomorrow. So yeah. there's no chance that you'll be able to get one. <laughs> um, sadly, not the not the print run, but yeah. um, uh, as I say, the digital but the is PDF there, and it's um, going to be a lovely yeah. PDF, I'm sure. Yeah, it's yeah. Just so well illustrated. I Thank love you, these. Yeah. And yeah. the, you know, stuff like this really glows on the screen as well. It really so. does, yeah. You yeah. really get the richness. Um, really, but, really yeah. nice. Very I'm really excited for the hardcover version. Yeah, yeah it's going to be yeah. fabulous. Well done. Yeah. Thank Good you very project. much. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having us. So I backed that after that interview. Um, mm, nice. So I've also got a copy because then, you know, as a backer, I was at Dragon Meat. I could pick up a paper copy <laughs> of this and uh, it is lovely. And as you say, the artwork is great. There's... Um, kind of mech um, technical drawings. There's uh, some lovely paintings, a kind of reminiscent of Seaman Stallenhag's work, I thought, but with mechs in a, it. A little bit, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's subtly different. It's not. It's oh, got yeah, it's slightly, not... slightly softer edges to it, but otherwise, yeah. it, it's very reminiscent. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And very painterly, actually, very yeah. painterly for giant robots. Uh, and some lovely sort of caricatures of the. Um, of the character classes. Um, I'm not sure I understand the system yet. Uh, it may take me a bit of time, but uh, yeah, I'm in, well, as you heard in the interview, I, <sighs> I challenged him on saying that, you know, there's a, in the problem with mech role playing games is it's hard to tie together the, the being a mech pilot and the social stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's interesting the approach I've taken with that. We shall see. Yeah. It's interesting because I, so I, I'm tempted to back it. I haven't backed it yet. 
Um, mm-hmm. it, it has a feel for me in terms of the way it play on a, on a kind of high level, not so much about the mechs, but it, it had a kind of feel of airship pirates to it for me. Mm. Um, which is great. Yes, great I guess game. it does in terms really of that in, setting. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed that, um, that setting and the, the short campaign we did of that. Uh, mm-hmm. so I'm, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. So they've got, um, Nearly forty thousand pounds of their target eight thousand pounds already. So they've they've put, they've succeeded. Uh, there are twenty six days to go as of recording, and it's the 9th of December today. So that runs up until the end of the month, uh, slightly beyond the end of the month. So if you're interested, go and have a look and back it. So I'm, you know me, I I I start out by being a bit hmm, maybe I will, maybe I won't, or even a flat no, I'm not going to, and then ten minutes later I've backed it. So. Um, <laughs> So we'll see. It's quite possible I will back it, but I think that yeah. for me it's it's got quite a uh, quite a niche okay. area, um, yeah. and I think I would really enjoy it. But I probably wouldn't enjoy it for more than a campaign or so. No, because again, you'd no. probably have done most of it, unless they come up with some expansions that allow you uh, yeah. uh, that take it into a different setting. Uh, I feel that the idea of just going around and and salvaging stuff might might. Might might run out of steam after a, after a campaign. Yeah, but I haven't, uh, I've never I've never played it, so who knows? No, but, no. but maybe we should try and get Andy to run a game for us. That's a, yeah, that's a good idea. Along with all the other <laughs> games, he's going to run for us. Yeah, <laughs> and I'd like to report that I popped Andy's copy round on my way home from work today, so he's got that. And I've seen he said thank hands. you on the yes, on the he has indeed. Already, yes, so that's, that's cool. All done. So, uh, talking of different settings for Soviet <clears throat> Union. Oh, nice segue. Thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, another Kickstarter that launched uh, just after Dragon Meat and is currently launched and was very successful on its first day is the one for Mythic Britain and Ireland and mm. the bonus book, The mm. Seasons of Myth. Um, and Seasons what can we say mystery. about that, Dave? Seasons of, Seasons of mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I think I wrote myth on the on the document we just <laughs> sent to Free League, but never mind. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Yes. Uh, so yeah, so that that um, that Kickstarter started two days ago. It's a short Kickstarter because they want to finish it before Christmas, so it's mm-hmm. only running until the twenty third, I believe. But and as we said you- last time, it's finished pretty much already. So you get the PDFs as soon as it closes. Exactly. Yeah, indeed. So you'll get the PDFs of both, uh, I assume, of both the Mythic Britain and Ireland so, yeah. book and the um, uh, the Seasons of Mystery book, which um, I, I guess we can we can say is going to be uh, four scenarios. They are mm-hmm. written by um, uh, a great selection of uh, of writers. Some have worked on the Wicked Secret uh, yeah. book, so some good stuff coming in there. And it will be compatible, although the scenarios are set across Scandinavia and to the east, they are going to yeah. be compatible with playing in Mythic Britain Island. So we can yeah. we can say that. We can uh, say that. You and I can say that because we have just made it so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to seeing those, those final um, books come out. I, you know, I... Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I hope it's going to be good. I mean, it's been very successful. So it's um, it, it it pledged its 
it hit his target in what six minutes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what else to say about it, really. Well, I think uh, one of the interesting things about that first day is there was a freebie for people that that, that sign up, that pledge in the first day, and that's uh, an art print. Mm. Uh, and it looks like a lovely one of the Black Dog or the Black Shook or whichever oh, nice. Black Dog you yeah. want to refer to. Um, so I think that incentivized a lot of people who might have said, mm, well, see how it goes, to, to leap in on that first um, yeah. So I think, I mean, it, it's doing really well. There's 13 days to go, uh, as we said, from here. So it finishes on the 22nd by the look of it. Mm. It's already had £326,000 pledged on a target of just over 8,000. 5,225 backers. It's pretty, pretty good. And I mean, I feel, I feel particularly kind of like warm and glowy about this one because you and I were, were, were lucky enough to be able to work on the yeah. Britain and Ireland. We both contributed to it. Um so feel a yeah, a bit of um a bit of yeah, extra special love towards it. Yeah. And now there's a little bit of us as well in the seasons of uh, Indeed. Mystery. Absolutely. So that's brilliant. So uh, great that we've had the opportunity to do that. But yeah now, I was saying to somebody the other day, just just whilst we're on Verson, that every so two things. Every time I pick up my copy of the core book of Verson, I just love it that little bit more. It's just such, <laughs> it's just wonderful. I just, we need to play more of it. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that only really recently um, I kind of twigged on was if you look at the artwork, the artwork has got a certain slightly cartoony style, not very cartoony, but mm-hmm. slightly cartoony style that on a first glance might feel a bit frivolous. But if you look at it, the, every image has got an element of dread in it. Yeah, and it's brilliantly done. I mean, I've, I hadn't really picked up on that before, you know, until a few weeks ago. But actually, the skill of Johann Ergerkrantz in in putting this artwork together is 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 just absolutely amazing. And I lo- yeah. again, I love the artwork that tiny bit more every time I look at it. Jolly good. Now, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> not sounded really patronizing. I'm not encouraging like... <laughs> this conversation because uh, you said you didn't want to spend long recording this episode. No, because we're actually squeezing this recording in on a day we don't normally record. That's true. To try and get it out by tomorrow, and I've just noticed we are up to 25 minutes already, or longer. In fact, almost up Indeed. to half an hour. Right. Then. So shut okay. up, Dave. Shut up and let's move on. <laughs> Okay, what are we, we were, talking about next? We might have talked about uh, new TSR version 5 and all the shenanigans they're getting up to, but just, I don't... Nah, let's not bother, shall just we? Just say that's the gift that keeps on giving. Go and find it for yourself <laughs> if you're interested. Um, I'm not sure it's giving, but it's a gift that keeps on steaming, yeah, I guess. It, 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 it's, <laughs> it's the gift that won't die. That's what it is. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so now should we move on to the uh, the masterclass? Yes, let's get to the main piece of the show because we don't need to say very much about that because you said it all and blame me for it at the beginning of the at show the and then refer cool. to it again just a few minutes ago. So everybody knows we didn't record the masterclass, and this <laughs> is did, the did alternative. You, did you not record the masterclass? What happened there, Matt? Anyway, okay. Anyway, um, yeah, let's listen to uh, to, um, uh, to to Nick and Diana. So first of all, let's start with you, Diana. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the content that you produce for the Jongstown Compendium, remembering that most most of our listeners are uh, Free League fans and may not be familiar with RuneQuest? Okay, so 
I'm Diana. I'm a member of A Beer With Teeth, which is a publishing group. And group is a very big word for that. It's four people who decided that we wanted to do this thing together. And we produce adventures, which we release on the Johnstown Compendium, and small source books. So we're working within the RuneQuest Grantham world, attempting to provide a long run of really high quality things that people are going to want. And when you talk of a group, I am reminded that this is exactly how the Free League started. Uh, they were they were meeting on bulletin boards and things and producing fan content for a game called Coriolis that was at that time being produced by another Swedish company and exclusively in Swedish, uh, Jan Ringen. So, um, so it's interesting to think that Beer With Teeth may one day have a global empire and be producing all sorts of games. With I am planning a secret volcano base and when that arrives, we're just going to vanish and then blackmail the world. Brilliant. That's what I like to hear. Uh, and Nick, I've known you for some time. You, you run my RuneQuest adventure, but you are also community ambassador for the uh, Johnstown Compendium. And um, I'd like to know what that means. Well, it's pretty straightforward. Um, as you know, ambassadors aren't just about being polite to people at dinner parties or offering around trays of Ferrero Rocher and other luxury chocolates. Um, we're also empowered to deliver ultimatums and, if necessary, declarations of war on behalf of those who represent. That's the part of my job I really enjoy. Um, but what it really means is that as a community ambassador, my job is to be visible in Chaosium's Facebook groups and other online forums and um, help people, encourage people to participate appropriately in Chaosium's community content programmes. Sometimes that means jollying them along, cheering them up when they're feeling a bit down, suggesting places they could find help, whether they need artists or layout or sensitivity readers or whatever it may be. A thing I'm kind of specialising in nowadays is getting things ready for print. It's very difficult to get things ready for print. Um, it's a kind of non-Euclidean process that does your head in several times. And um, I've got a lot of books through that, some of them my own, some of them for other people. And I'm always happy to advise people on how to do it themselves. That's a lot easier for me, or if necessary, to pick up a project and make sure that it meets the specification. There's all kinds of oddities about things we call bleeds and ink totals that can't go above 240%, which anyone familiar with printing will think is a very low number, but anyone not familiar with printing will think sounds insane. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it is what it is. It is what yeah, it is. Actually, I remember you started talking about print, and for most community um, publishing uh, fronts, shall we say, mm. on the drive through RPG network, most community producers can't produce print. And I said in the seminar we'd return to that, but then we ran out of time ah. and we never did. So can we just briefly get that out of the way? How come you guys on the Johnstown Compendium can print stuff? Because we're just absolutely awesome. We I are don't think good. there is another reason. But if there is, perhaps Nick could explain it. Uh, yeah, Diana has essentially nailed it the first print book on the Johnstown Compendium was one of mine. And as a proof <laughs> concept, um, I prepared it, sent it off to drive through RPG for checking. They checked it. They found maybe one thing I got wrong and said, fix this. So I fixed it. And then we printed it. And the proof print arrived and was perfect. So then we put it on sale. And people thought, hey, print is easy. So then a whole bunch of people went down the stairs like Winnie the Pooh, banging their heads on every step along the way. 
And after a while, drive-through said, ooh, there's a lot of people trying to get in print because they think they're all Nick Brooke, but they're not that, you know. And we came up with a new rule that said, look, if you haven't got demand for your book, if you don't know that it's something people are actually going to want to buy, don't even think about preparing it for print. And um, in the summer of 2020, the new rule was that you had to get to an Electrum bestseller standard in order to be considered for eligibility for print, which did a lot to um, make things easier. Diana? Our first book from Beer With Teeth was actually really lucky. We got in there before that came in and it was only a little later that we got to Electrum. So for some very early books, there was a lot of luck involved, but our first book was also absolutely awesome. So, you know. And just remind, remind our listeners, how many sales do you have to make, paid for sales, do you have to make two. on drive through to get Electrum badges? Electrum is 250 Right. It's actually 251, but no one remembers that last yeah. one. Um, what it is, is copper bestseller is 51 sales. Silver is 101. Electrum, which only D&D players will know about, is 251. And then it goes gold at 501. And the target above that, and it makes my nose bleed to think about it, but somebody's got there, is platinum, which is 1,001. Um, the minimum cost for a sale to be considered towards medals is a, a sale price of 20 cents. Mm. And the minimum selling price of anything on drive through RPG is 50 cents. And you might say, Nick, that makes no sense. But sometimes drive through RPG runs a sale and discounts things by 60%. So that's how the numbers add up. The reason there's a minimum selling price is because it actually costs drive through something to process every sale anyway, and they don't want to go out of business giving away schlock. Mm. Strange. That's brilliant. Well, there isn't, although there isn't a minimum learned. selling price. There's a minimum. There is a minimum selling price if you want to have a price at all, isn't there? Yes. If you yeah. want a price at all, if you want a price that gets processed, the minimum selling price is fifty cents as a ticket price, and then drive through can influence that in sales, but you can't. And then we should say we are both massively in favour of setting a price. There is a little tick box which says you can pay what you want. And we both firmly believe you should not do that mm. because it makes it makes Nick very, very sad when he thinks of people not getting medals that they might deserve. Plus, if people can get things for free, they often will. And you should yes. always be setting out to get paid for the work that you're doing. Yeah, I think I agree. And in fact, I think we've mentioned it on our podcast before, you know, pay what you think you're worth. Well, you should always uh, charge what you think you're worth, but you shouldn't think you're worth nothing uh, generally because you're not. You put work into these things. I, I will say that there's a real ego boost you get from chasing those bestseller medals, which are publicly displayed. And mm. when you, you just start start out and say, I'm not, gonna, I'm not ever going to get one of those, but here's my work. I'm never going to get money or recognition. Um, and some people will just be downloading free stuff and holding on to it, never doing anything with it. It's, mm. it's sad, but that's one of the things you know from people who pirate role-playing game books is they often have no use for them. They're just yeah. kind of sad, demented troglodytes with internet connections. We should take those connections away. Um, some of our listeners may be, may, may be internet pirates. <laughs> Don't call them sad and demented, please. <laughs> But you're okay with the chocolate notes. That's cool. Well, the chocolate notes is fine. There's a a thing to add there, which is while on the Johnstown Compendium, it's very easy to stay close to the bestsellers list and stay up at the top of the list for a while. In Mm. something like the DMs Guild, you're getting a lot of people publishing daily. And so you're rapidly going to fall off a bestsellers list. 
And a lot of people, I think, reckon they have to compete on price. But that's not actually true because no one's going to see how they're pricing themselves anyway. You have to have other ways of bringing in interest to your book. So I think a lot of a lot of the reason that people price themselves low is they think that that's where they're competing. But actually, I think that they need to do more research. And I can say, I think pretty confidently that that's not the case on the Johnstown Compendium. Um, For one thing, almost everything that is a normal product that gets released on the Johnstown Compendium, and here I'm excluding things like virtual tabletop maps and tokens, and one-page ideas for an adventure with a free map stuck on the back of them, um, and goodness knows, some of some my indexes maybe, but normal products on the Johnstown Compendium quickly get to copper, fairly quickly get to silver. That's 50 and 100 sales. Mm. Um, I looked at the numbers very recently for our second birthday celebrations of 70 products that meet those criteria. They're just normal books in the normal sections of my index that I'm about to mention. Uh, all but three of them are copper bestsellers. Uh, on drive through overall, 60% of products are not copper bestsellers. Mm. They've sold fewer than 50 copies. And that is for the whole population of everything on drive through RPG, including pre- professionally produced RPG core books and the like, as well as a lot of drafts. Um, Nick, perhaps you could tell us a bit more about this index of yours. Oh, glad you asked me that, Diana. <laughs> um, early on with Johnstown Compendium, I'm, I'm a very lazy RuneQuest game master. And I thought, well, I'll look at what people are writing for Johnstown Compendium and see if I can use it in my campaign so as not to disappoint my players who expect a high-quality RuneQuesting experience, don't they, Matthew? Yes, absolutely. I don't know why, given the GM, but I'm prepared to believe you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so when there were only a dozen or so scenarios on the Johnstown Compendium, I had, of course, bought them all as they came out, I thought what I'll do is I'll chuck up a short review thing with um, a kind of half-page summary of each of them saying, this one is written for player characters who are ducks. This one is set in the distant desert of Prax and assumes you're all Keystone Cops. This one, you have to be a member of this particular village to get most use out of it. This one is a staggering work of genius by an author who will surely live through the age. Oh, that was mine, sorry. Um, And I I produced this index and people seemed to find it useful. So I updated it ever since. And when new products dropped on the Johnstown Compendium, I'd buy them and I'd update the index with details of what it was that they were. Uh, And over time, I added more features to this. So I started saying, well, um, what medals have they got? What bestseller tier have they got to? Uh, how many five-star reviews have they got? Um, this seemed to be the nicest metric I could use. You can do things on RPG to sort products by some ranks they don't really explain, like popularity and average rating. But the average rating can be skewed by bad actors giving something a one-star review because they don't like the author. We're saying, well, this has got so many five-star reviews, it's probably pretty good. Um, seemed to me to be something you couldn't really tamper with, so I did that. And one person has tampered with it, but we won't talk about it. But that, 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 that was really it, at, the, at the crux of it was to say, how can I let people know what's in this thing? And the other thing I wanted to do was to help people understand what they were buying. So sometimes you buy a RuneQuest scenario and it's like a novel, uh, dense, lots of description, lots of uh, interesting stuff to read, myths, stories, backstories, motivations. Sometimes you buy a RuneQuest scenario and a lot of it 
it could have been written by a computer or by a, a room of monkeys because mm. it's stats for the first bandit and then stats for the second bandit, which is slightly different, and then stats for the third bandit, which is slightly different again. And this carries on. And then you get to the room where you have an encounter with a trollkin. There are stats for trollkin one, trollkin two, trollkin three, trollkin four. And these are each taking up maybe half a page of time. And you can get an awful lot of possibly not very valuable or possibly extremely valuable, if that's what you want, content. So I'd do a page analysis and I'd say, how many pages are you getting off scenario versus stat blocks versus maybe a new cult write-up or a new treasure write-up or something? At this point, I'd like to interrupt and just remind him at the start of this, he said he was very lazy. Mm. (laughs) I do not want to know what he looks like when he's being very industrious. (laughs) Oh, you've seen that. That's my productivity. So um, the reason for doing this was to come up with a metric I could use to say, well, A, here's an analysis of what you're buying. So you know if you're going to be buying a telephone directory of stats versus um, something really engaging. Mm -hmm. And also to do a price per page metric that would be fair across all products. And the the metric I came up with, I said, okay, if it's a blank page you bought, I'm not counting that. If it's an advertisement for your next book, however nice the next book is, and some of mine are very nice, that I don't think people in their right mind would pay for that. Um, if it's the front cover, I took those out as well because everything has a front cover. So if you write a one-page scenario with a front cover, that's one page. If you write a 10-page scenario with a front cover, that's 10 pages. They've all got front covers. So I disregarded those. Pages of legalese, contents, repeat content. That's something that got my goat. Um, some people would bring out a book and say, here's all the statistics for the monsters, 10 pages of them. And then they say, and here they are again in easy printing format in case you've forgotten that you can turn off backgrounds in Adobe Acrobat these days. It's like, well, that's a complete waste of my time. Um, slightly controversially, sometimes there is a useless index at the back of the thing, and I'll sort of decide whether this is actually a, a worthwhile thing to have. So some indexes have value, some don't. And if it doesn't have any value, it's like, don't know why you bother putting that in there, mate. doesn't count. So if you have a 300-page PDF... A useless index might be useful there, so you'd count that. You've got it, or if it's actually pointing you to interesting groupings and clusters of ideas. But if it's <laughs> just like the table of contents in alphabetical order, what is the point? Yeah. Um, but then the other thing that this did was it allowed me to see, well, what is what are people actually charging? And I quickly found out that there was a general cluster in the 10 to 20 cents range. Um, 10 to so 20 said, okay. cents per page. Per page. 10 to 20 cents per page of content. So I thought, okay, then that's the center of my range. So I'll say, is it 10 to 15 cents a page? Is it 15 to 20 cents a page? Is it more? Is it less? And I started just color coding things and saying, here's my calculation. These are the numbers it's based on. This is what you're getting. This one's a bit expensive. It's got really nice art in it. Maybe it's a bit expensive. This one's really cheap. Um, The layout's crap. The art was done by a child, but it's extremely cheap. And you can start to get a feel for this. And what I was trying to avoid doing was other than in my enthusiastic or otherwise description of the product, I wasn't trying to say, this is good and this is not good. I was trying to say, this is what you're getting. Yeah. And then people can make a decision about what to get that's informed by a lot of hard information. What is it they're buying? How much of it is actual, actual content? How much of it is likely to be the content they're after? And critically, I think, is this a scenario that will work with my game? And for that, often it comes down to geography. If your game is not set in the desert, then Oasis of the whatever and Pyramid of the whatever are not scenarios that are going to be particularly useful to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is a tendency among some people, and I hope to help crush it, 
to write scenarios that only work for members of a particular family who've lived on that hill there for 400 years. And it's like, I think the Hero Quest role-playing game did that to people. I would, I'm not sure we're allowed to call it that. No, no, no. Questworlds. Questworlds in Glorantha, I guess it is Quest now. Worlds, which has been through several other names previously, for some reason got people used to thinking that a scenario could only make sense for members of a particular bloodline living in a particular hut. And it's that is so limiting because you're just telling every other group in the world, you can't do that. This isn't for you. And it's like, no, my model, my own personal model is to say, uh, we've seen how the freebooting adventurers who are the sample player characters in the RuneQuest rules behave. I'm going to write scenarios those guys could drop into. And I'm going to think, well, what would... Vasana do? What would Yanioth do? What would Hamas do? But most importantly, what would Vostor do? Because he's the best PGM character. Right now, um, we're getting we're um, getting deep into uh, Gluanthan lore here, yeah, and also but, how to write scenarios, Nick. Which yeah. um, obviously, I, I given your sales, and what is that around your neck? I see there. Uh, it gleams. It gleams. Look at this. Oh, is, is that an any medal? Why didn't you mention you got an any medal, Nick? Oh, I'm, I'm especially because this is probably a bad time because we were just getting into how to write scenarios. And I mean, if we had an award-winning writer here, that would be fantastic. But, but I didn't get my any for a scenario. Yeah. No. The any is for a book called A Rough Guide to Glamour. Now we talked. Um, I think it may, may have been before we started recording about one of the advantages the Johnstown Compendium has got is that there's a lot of people who've been wanting to fan publish things for RuneQuest and the world of Glorantha, its setting, for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. um, I was part of a publishing team in the 1990s um, that brought out a magazine and ran conventions and the like. And in the mid-noughties, there was a, quote, fan publication policy, unquote, issued by the then guardians of the IP. And the policy essentially said, you can't fan publish anymore. I mean, it was dressed up prettier than that, but it, they were under terms no, nobody in their right mind would accept. So fan publishing died on the vine. Um, so there were a lot of people who had been publishing for up to 15 years and then couldn't publish, but they knew what publishing looked like, they knew what it felt like, and um, they wanted to. And then when the Johnstown Compendium opened its doors, it was pretty obvious that immediately people were thinking, oh, I've got stuff that I could publish. So one of the first releases on the Johnstown Compendium was a almost a 400-page book. Um, and there were, I think, another four or five scenarios that were already ready to go because people had been writing their own things for RuneQuest and wanting to publish them and knowing that there ought to be some outlet. And then what Chaosium did was set up the Johnstown Compendium to be that outlet. Um, so so what I'm I trying think this to is... Say, Worth, worth pointing out because I'm a little bit jealous. You know, most most of our listeners, if they've got work published, it's in the Free League Workshop, which isn't quite as old as the Johnstown Compendium, but is very nearly quite as old as the Johnstown Compendium by only two or three months. And um, mm -hmm. uh, I've been a bit jealous of the content, although recently uh, we, we we've taken on publishing Twilight Two Thousand and. There's a lot of Twilight 2000 content. Suddenly I think you're having the same thing happening there. And actually, yeah. if you want to do a big favour to the Twilight 2000 world, you could take a note from Nick there. You or someone else could make the sort of index that he's made because it's absolutely vital for me when mm. I'm looking up either what our competitors are doing or what I want to be gaming with. It's something that I pick up for both of those reasons. And I think that the index has done a very good thing for the Johnstown Compendium. Um, 
Let me tell you a few behind the scenes things. The index is very cheap. It's currently, I think, $2 for the regularly updated thing. At the start of every year, it's 50 cents. After a quarter, it goes up to a dollar. After two quarters, it's $1.50. And at the close of the year, it comes to $2. But um, it's regularly updated. I've updated, I think, almost 70 times this year, every time something new drops or something significant changes. Um, it's got lots of links, so you can hyperlink from any book or its cover. There's lots of pickies in there. It's very nice. Um, to the product page on DriveThruRPG. Those links are all monetized, meaning if you follow one of my links to DriveThruRPG and buy something there, DriveThruRPG, to thank me, will pay me 8% of what their customer just spent. And for that reason, although my income from the index itself is very low because I sell, sell I don't know, 100 of those at a dollar, that's $100. My income from the referral fees is um, significantly larger. And Very it's an interesting thing, isn't it, um, that um, we, we should say for people that haven't published on, on um, any of these um, community content sites, you set the cover price. You get 50% of that. Generally, the IP hold, oh, which way around is it? Drive through well, and the IP holder share the other 50%. Yes. Uh, for the Johnstown Compendium, it's usually 30% to drive through, 20% to Chaosium. Yeah. There may be circumstances in which Chaosium doesn't take that full 20% or something, but that's technical. We don't need yeah. to go there. And so this is a way if you if you become an affiliate of drive through and you add your affiliate number onto the links you have for your own products even, yeah. then you suddenly go from... 50% to 58%, which is... Well, here's the irony. In some circumstances, I can get more money from somebody else selling a book than from selling my own book. Um, <laughs> when the brilliant Andrew Logan Mon Montgomery brings out another of his big fat books that sells for $20 or $30 in PDF, if I make a sale of one of those, work it out for yourself. That's more money than I get from my about one-third share of the Glamour book, which had three <laughs> lead authors, or my one-fifth share of the Life of Moonsun books, which had five lead authors. Uh, for, or, for both those books, we essentially split everything equally between us. So. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely awesome. You have that little affiliate ID and people click on it and it just provides extra money. It's a way of keeping yourself interested in marketing and marketing is a very, very important thing. So... Yes. I found that it helped me to go, oh, God, I don't want to post this link again. Wait, if I post this link again, people are going to click through that. Mm. I'm going to get more money for it. Fear with Teeth puts all their affiliate link money into the Volcano Fund, which occasionally we plunder to buy art assets. <laughs> but being able to do it to support the art that we were going to create has actually really helped us as well. But here's the trick. If you were to do something like manage a popular Twilight 2000 catalogue, that is free money forever for as long as you can maintain your catalogue and have it be a useful thing that people refer to and trust and I follow. I am planning to get into Nick's good books, get him to pass over occasional usage of the index to me and then assassinate him so I can have all his money. <laughs> So I kind of interrupted uh, a, a little bit of an marketing. important point. And it, in fact, you brought us around very sensibly, Diana, back to marketing, which was in the course of the seminar we had, one of the vital things. We, we'd kind of assumed 
because we're in a, a day full of seminars and indeed the one that was following ours was how to write stuff. I said, we're not going to talk about writing in, in the scope of our seminar, just, uh, you know, cling on for the next one and, and watch that. But of course, when you're talking about marketing, um, you raised an important point, Diana, that actually writing stuff generically, as Nick was talking about, so they're not just for the one family living on the one hill, but for most adventures that that PC groups might create, then obviously you've got a bigger market. But in the seminar, you raised a very important thing, which is you are your own marketeer. You've you've got to build your reputation both online and build your market through word of mouth. So I've been a freelancer for a big chunk of my life. I don't particularly like not being able to afford shoes. I do like the freedom. <laughs> I'm an artist and I'm also an engineer. Let me promise you the engineering is a lot more money. <laughs> However, the best bit of advice I had, it was actually slightly inaccurate. It was spend half the time on marketing and half the time on creating. And actually, that's wrong. You need to be spending more than half your time on marketing. Because if you really want to get sales, you have to make sure that everyone knows you. So you want to be in different network groups, and that will be fan groups. So I, I did this by accident. The Johnstown Compendium has been very generous, but something like the DMs Guild has got a difficulty multiplier in there. Mm-hmm. So I was in the RQ group. I was in a grant the fan group. I was talking to people. I was, you know, chattering about things we would do. And because I like their work, I supported their work as well. I talk about other people's work when I really like it. And this networking means that people see me all the time. And once a week for about the past three months, I've been blogging and posting that. I've been posting it to a RuneQuest group that has 4,000 members. And even with Facebook's algorithm screwing me over, I still get people clicking through to the site. Do you know how many people of of this 4,000 group, about 60 click through. So you have to keep on pushing because there is a huge market out out there and most of them are not going to see you. And the ones that do see you aren't going to pick it up unless you actually make it look good. So the first thing you should not do, which is the writing for generics group part, is do not limit your market artificially. Don't go down that route that says you have to be this tool to play. The second thing is make sure people know that your market is not limited. So I've got things that are set in Prax, which is a particularly hostile area. And each of those has a little bar in it that says how you could set the main part of that adventure somewhere else. So how mm. you could use it generically in any part of Glorantha. And every time I write, I try to write specifically so that you can have a feeling of what this place is like. And generically, so you can have it for a set of travellers going through or that's so that you can put it in a different place. And then I make sure right up front that people know how we can use this. So on drive-through, you get the area for a blurb. Mm-hmm. Nick, 
Um, I'll add a, a small tweak to that, which is in my own work, I spend a lot more time telling people, in fact, encouraging people to mess around with the calendar, to take historic dates that the publishers would like you to think are set in stone and say, you know what, actually, if you combine these two historical events and then put your players in exactly the right place to make a difference, you'd have a much better story than saying these things happen as written in the book and your players aren't involved. Um, so my first published scenario, absolutely, it said, look, um, I screwed up in my campaign. I didn't do this battle in the summer like I was meant to. So I did it in the winter instead. And I merged it with this other battle that I was not meant to happen at the same time. So I brought all the details from that battle to happen at the same time. And your players get to be the big damn heroes. And this is their story. Um, and I just, I loved encouraging people to do that and being honest about it. It's, it's wasn't what I planned to do. But I did it, and no, nobody in my group has ever complained or said, oh, the Battle of Dangerford wasn't really in storm season 1620. It, it just doesn't happen. Get yourself over that. If anyone was bringing out a calendar thinking, hang on, Nick, surely the Tarsh Civil War was already underway before we finished character generation. No, you, oh, it wasn't. You were there when it kicked off. And it's, it's really nice being able to do that. My second book is absolutely pinned on a historic event. We know that the great Satan of Glorantha, this really bad person called Argrath Dragonspear, comes from the desert city of Prax to Sartar to begin his reign of terror on a particular day in the year 1627. My scenario is all about getting him and bringing him to the city so he can destroy the world. You know, it's a tough job, but adventurers have to do it. Um, but... I do also include at the back, these are explanations of what can happen if he is already the Antichrist before your game starts, or what what could happen if somebody else is the king and you don't actually need a new king. Well, he goes out to recruit a foreign warlord called Argrath instead. All that, all that stuff is in there as considerations to say, here's how you can dissect bits of my scenario and use it, even if you're already past these deadlines, don't care about these deadlines, or don't even particularly like the story that the powers that be are trying to tell. And that makes it flexible. And the other other thing I do, when I'm writing scenarios, I have more ideas than I can use. So I chuck the ideas I can't use at the end as an appendix and say, you know what? I was thinking that maybe we could have um, Dennis uh, Hopper's photojournalist from Apocalypse Now could be an NPC in this scene, but I didn't actually write the scene. But hey, that would have been cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> so it's, it's all in there. People can use it if they want it. Right. <laughs> um... Uh, coming back to marketing, <laughs> not limiting your marketing. Um, one of the other things you mentioned, and again, I'm going to turn back to you, Diana, um, is art. Now, you're an artist, and so I guess you take at least some of the responsibility for that within your with the within the beer for teeth, um, beer with beer with teeth collective. Um, but I think. Possibly most of the creators out there have written stuff and may not have that artistic ability. What should they do? They should contact a local friendly artist and offer them money. Large there amounts of money. Or large amounts of money, money or small amounts of absinthe, as Nick keeps trying to bribe me with, uh, with varying degrees of success. <laughs> so there are a few things you can do. There is quite a lot of good art that is actually available on drive through RPG as long as you're prepared to do the work of looking for it. There's also a lot of public domain art, and Nick's work, The Jewel at Dangerford, has a fabulous piece of public domain art on it that absolutely sums up the scenario as it was going on. And let's it's be really clear here, though, about public bridge. domain art. Public domain art is not, I saw it on the internet and downloaded it. 
Yeah, no. if, you, if you see it on the internet and you steal it, I will personally come round to your house and stab your puppy. And if you don't have a puppy, I will invade before Christmas and give you a puppy so that you have bonded with it so I can stab your puppy. And uh, this is way, Nick, did you have something to say as well? Um, yes, yes, I did. I mean, please, um, please gain a basic understanding of what we mean by things like copy copyright and public domain and plagiarism and paraphrasing before you start trying to bring out community content. There have been some bizarre misconceptions, which anyone who thought about it for a moment would realise weren't the case. Um, but in general, if something was published a century or so ago, it's probably in the public domain where you are working. So life is good. Um, I took the interior art for The Duel at Dangerfield. A lot of it came from a very nice Victorian poetry book, really beautifully illustrated, just what I wanted, and definitely in the public domain because it had first been published in, I think, the 1890s, which is definitely safe. Um, but yes, in the public domain does not mean I grabbed it off the internet. Um, it does not mean it was somebody else's text and I thought I liked it, so I stole it. Um, you do have to be careful about this stuff. If you can't track down where it came from, then that means you're actually possibly culpable if it came from, say, someone who's still alive and wouldn't have let you use it. On the other hand, I did once, when I was an artist, have someone approach me and say, I really like this image. Can I use it for my business cards? I can't pay you very much. And fine, they could have right-clicked and had it. It was a very simple image. So I sold it to them for very little money. So I think that that is the next step up from free work is the very cheap work on drive-through or asking artists that you know and like if you can use their work and that is a bit awkward because a lot of artists don't know their value mm. but if you're absolutely strapped for cash and you're willing to give some money to an artist then go go find a lot of stuff that you like and see what you can get and what the prices are for it um, we have key uh, I was going to say, we have some very good um, Gloranthan artists who specialise in illustrating things for RuneQuest, who are active in our Facebook groups or our other online forums. And I'd be delighted to give recommendations if anyone's looking for somebody to do this. Some so, of them will work for not much money. Some of them will work for a share of royalties. And that's a nice way of getting people on board if they want to. And I was going to say yes, that is it's awesome. if you haven't got the upfront money, uh, that you, you can do a deal with the artist about taking a portion of what comes off drive-through. If if they're within, I guess, the uh, the drive-through sort of community yeah, already. They, um, they need to have so, an account from drive-through. For example, uh, I work with uh, John Salquist, who we talk quite a lot about this and is actually now a patron of the podcast. Um, and we, we did a marvellous thing, the Coriolis Calendar, which of there will be links in the show notes. There will be links to all the publications mentioned in our show notes. Uh, but that was a 50-50 split of our 50% because that was quite art intensive and not very much writing. So in a way, I got the, the better end of the deal there. I think I, I think John worked harder for his 50% than mine, but that's, that's what we agreed. And, in um, general, we try to give Chris, who's our main artist, as much as possible. So if I've done for the first book we did together, I did the writing, the layout, the editing, the stat blocks. She wasn't really very good within the world of Glorantha at that point. She's got a great visual understanding of it, but she doesn't understand how the stats work. And she's not actually great at writing an adventure. What's However, 
she's really good at doing covers and she's really good at doing portrait art. So she did the cover and the portrait art. I did everything else, including some incidental art, and we split that 50-50. And we decided we were about fair with that. And that we were about, that we were both... Sorry, there's some banging going on. We decided we were both happy with that. And then when we work together in bigger bands, we try to give her at least a third of what there's going to be because we can make the work kind of work, but she makes it look good. Mm. And without her, we wouldn't have a splashy cover. And a splashy cover absolutely sells things. Like it's one of the biggest and most important things that you can do is get a bright splash of colour with a big, bold title. A legible title. A big, bold, legible title. And in my day job, I have I am paid to have opinions on fonts. Um, <laughs> in my not-day job, I can be a lot more obscene about the opinions of your font choice. <laughs> they need to know what they're getting, and they need to see what they're getting. And a good cover artist is generally going to be the business between sink or fail. Sink or fail. It's like, sink, you just didn't do it. Fail, it's people <laughs> laugh at you forever. However, I, again, I don't know how this works on something like the DMs Guild or Twilight 2000, but I do have a question, which maybe we could come back to once Nick has had a say on marketing. this marketing bit, which is, does Twilight 2000 have a community editing area or a community support group yet? I, I think it does. Um, uh, I don't want to dwell too much on Twilight 3000 because there's lots of freely games out there, but um, it has obviously got a very active community on forums. Um, uh, how many artists there are, I'm not sure, because I think a lot of them are army veterans and um, uh, military historians, because that's the nature of the game. Um, some of them, I'm sure, are pretty good artists, whether... whether whether they're quite as inspired as your Gloanthan artists, I don't know. You might have um, war poets. But they do meet, you know, there, there are, uh, and this is an important point, actually, for everybody. There, there are discords nowadays for the young people. There are forums for those of us of a slightly older generation. There may even be bulletin boards still, uh, and I can imagine a few Twilight 2000 people stick to those. Um, so, and listservs, if we're getting really old, where you can congregate and, and find collaborators. As a general point... I would say that you want to be getting into a community that does it. So, mm. Nick, could you tell us briefly about the Johnstown Compendium Creators Circle? The Johnstown, Creators, the Johnstown Compendium Creators Circle is a Facebook group that was set up at the same time the Johnstown Compendium was created to bring together people who are interested in making things for RuneQuest in the world of Glorantha. So there are authors there, there are artists, there are editors, there are people who do layout, there are cartographers, and there are people pimping their latest book or asking questions, looking for help. Um, some, of the stuff, some of the times they're asking, can I do this thing? Would I be able to do this using this old material? Um, is this an okay idea for a, for a scenario? Um, and it's, the group is there and it's really active. I think it's a really friendly and convivial community, lot, very supportive. Everyone wants everyone else to succeed. Um, and it is absolutely, the, it's the central place for getting stuff sorted out on the Johnstown Compendium. It's actually rather sad when a creator isn't active in there because there was a, a really nice scenario came out a few months back, Diana. You, you and I both really enjoyed it. The creator, absolutely, yeah. 
was completely nowhere to be found, hadn't put his email address on his book, not that he needs to, wasn't active in forums, wasn't active on Facebook. And we were just saying, oh, if you made this one little edit to this one thing that's slightly flawed, your scenario would, would, would read so much better. And we mm. couldn't do that. We couldn't hand over that stuff because we, we, we look at these things and we want them to be better. We, 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 not in a nasty, critical carping way. We, we, if there's something that could easily be fixed, why wouldn't we help fix it? And that, that group does a load of editing, like people volunteer to edit each other's work. Mm. And it's a, a harbour nexus for meeting the people you need. And if that doesn't exist within the community that you're in, then I think you're going to be halfway crippled. I think the DMs Guild probably suffers from this because it's impossible to centralise something that big. Mm. But I wonder if it's actually possible to do that for Twilight 2000 and the other games in the line. Uh, yeah, I think we've already seen it uh, to a degree uh, in, um, uh, in Coriolis, where we've just had a big community project to translate and republish with Free League's consent all the Swedish uh, language stuff that they'd done and decided wasn't uh, stuff that they wanted to translate themselves for the English edition. So, And that that project, first of all, the Community Atlas, as it's called, has now blossomed into other projects as well. And I think there is right. a creative community coming out around uh, that. Translation's interesting, and the Johnstown Compendium is very open to translations, and we have a few already. Um, but some of the things you need when you're um, doing, doing a translation, would you be needing to get new art for example or did you have the use of the art from the original works well, the brilliantly free league then gave us the original art as long and this this goes against our earlier advice so that work is pay what you want which was a stipulation yeah. that free league used for uh, uh for doing yeah. the original but art. it's a different situation when it's not your own original content yeah. um there you go. I mean, chaosium guidance is pretty straightforward you can write stuff set in our world using our characters and our rules but you can't just copy bleeding chunks out of our rule book or even translate bleeding chunks out of our books. Um, if you do need to borrow a key passage or a spell description or something that isn't readily available in something we're selling, write to Chaosium through me, I'm available. Um, say, for my scenario, I'm using such and such an obscure cult. They have this power in an earlier edition of RuneQuest. Can I explain how it works in my community content? And we'll probably say yes, or, or else we'll say no. I cannot be positive which. But we've often said yes. Um, so it is worth, yes, I think it's worth pointing out. I'm just realizing we're, we're running short of time. Mm -hmm. And there are two other things we talked about. And in fact, again, Diana, you keep bringing up the things, <laughs> the things that we should be talking about. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, <laughs> you were talking about editing and that, that resource in editing when you're part of a community. And I think it is worth just us mentioning that you've written something. It's your baby. The first thing you must do is hand it over to somebody to kill it. And Nick, you have a comment on that, I say. Absolutely. In my experience, the first person I hand everything I've got that I think is more or less done to is Diana, and she teaches me how very wrong I am. I um, do enjoy like that part. Painful and embarrassing process, and I do my best to get back at her in my footnotes, which she doesn't get to edit. Um, but it's incredibly valuable having somebody who isn't you sit down and read through what you wrote, start to finish, sympathetically, and trying to understand it because they will see stuff you never realise you should have put in or shouldn't have left in. Uh, it's extremely valuable, and I would hate to see what my stuff looked like without that editorial review, um, which Diana does as a free service, in, in exchange mm -hmm. for which I promise but never buy her drinks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, an editor is absolutely vital for those reasons that Nick says. The 
basic problem is you get too close to the thing you have so you understand it and all the assumptions that are in your head help you with the difficulties and that's just how a human brain works like Mm. it's what we're good at and you're doing it and unfortunately you're then trying to set out to communicate with other people so you need to create a situation in which someone else who is not an expert looks at it so I'm very good at editing it the first time I see it And then I get back to Nick and he says, oh, yeah, that bit, that bit, that bit. I'm not so good at it the second time. Like the second time I can go around and I can do the typos pretty well and I can check that some things make sense. But I already come in there not naive to the situation. Mm. So a set of editors can also really help someone to help you get it into a good position in the first place. And then a last minute reader can be awesome as well. And the other thing that isn't, is, is in a similar space, it's not editors, but it's along a similar line, is playtesting. You really, really need to run the thing you've written with uh, a group of hostile, argumentative, downright ornery players um, to see what they do and then write in to correct it. Now, luckily, I've got some of the worst players ever in my RuneQuest group, Matthew. Thank you. Um, and herding those cats has been extremely beneficial to me uh, because I learn how to make sure that they are going to follow the plot and stay on the path. And it will be signposted where they should go and there will be trolls with mallets in the directions they shouldn't go. And it's, it's actually quite a good discipline. But again, if you haven't playtested the thing, I would strongly urge you not to publish it because how do you know it works? Now, I'm not saying you need the kind of playtesting infrastructure a games publisher has where they mail out different versions to different teams across the continent and get in feedback with feedback forms saying what went well and what went differently and they run it out with different GMs at different conventions. If you've got that kind of infrastructure, brilliant, do it. But you don't need that. What you just need to do is have played it once, corrected it afterwards to cover for the things which you hadn't thought about before confronting the enemy, and then you can publish They'll the always, final, in group quest, try to call on the power of the gods to help them. And you go, wait, I didn't read, I didn't write that bit. <laughs> they, they will always have a new idea, no matter what the game is. But particularly tricky is calling on divine intervention. Uh, I, 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 sense, I sense history here. I'm moving on quickly. Let, let, let's finish. We talked again in the seminar, and we haven't got so much time to talk about it now. Didn't really talk about it for long in the seminar, I'm thinking, actually. And that's layout, which you, you've done a sterling job, um, as far as I'm aware, Nick, with, with no training in layout or typography at all to help loads of the Johnstown Compendium uh, people get their things looking good and looking very good, it has to be said. Um, what, what's your advice on layout? Um, three things. Uh, first, I was lucky. I worked with um, somebody who did layout brilliantly for Tales of the Reaching Moon, um, the late Steve Thomas. I, I learned at his knee, and um, every time I'm laying things out, I'm remembering, make the titles huge, leave white space, let the text breathe, don't shrink the fonts. Um, all, the, all this stuff, is, it's just like, it's rules of thumb I picked up from him when he was producing a ma- magazine that looked mm. beautiful. Um, second advantage I've got is um, I use a program called InDesign, which is a proper layout program. It's expensive. You can get it from Adobe as part of their Creative Cloud Suite for $30 a month. 
Uh, it's not software that you buy off the shelf and store once and that's your lot. There are options out there. Diana uses one of them. I think it's Affinity or Scribus or possibly both. I use InDesign because I'm familiar with it, understand how it works. And if $30 a month sounds like a lot, um, my first successful scenario will have paid for several years of licensing of InDesign. And I expect to bring out more than one scenario every several years. So it's like this, this stuff pays for itself once you get up and, up and running. Uh, the other great thing about InDesign is it's able to make print-ready files for sending if your book is going to make it into print on design. One of the most demanded titles on the Johnstown Compendium was a launch book called The Armies and Enemies of Dragon Pass, which is a, the tr traditional word is magisterial term. I think Diana may have coined that one. Um, but all about military techniques and technologies in the weird fantasy Bronze Age world of Glorantha. And because it was laid out painstakingly by hand using Microsoft Word, Ooh. it was actually impossible to take that big complex book with all its illustrations and charts and tables and um, make it into something printable. And various attempts were made, not by me, until last summer when the last of them failed, I said, uh, you know what, Martin, because Martin was the author, give it to me and I'll redo the layout in InDesign. And that was a really bad idea because after I'd said that, I was obliged to take his book and redo the layout in InDesign. But it worked. And that page, book's now right? on sale. We've shifted more than 100 copies of the uh, print-on-design, print-on-demand hardback edition, and it's rather gorgeous. Um, so what was I saying? How, how to do, first of all, look at, look at something that you like and understand how it works and copy it. I have the advantage of being in the engine room of Tales of the Reaching Moon, but you at least can look at a, a thing you like and say, oh, I see that the text isn't very small and in very long lines and it hurts when I read it and the background is too dark and it makes my eyes bleed and arg, arg, go. Sorry, that was a white wolf flashback there. Um, and... Um, use the right software for the job. There's nothing wrong with Word. If you want to bring out something in PDF, you can do a perfectly decent job in Microsoft Word or some alternatives. But I if think you, you and I may have to agree to disagree there. But um, yeah, if but, I mean, the beauty of Word is uh, lots of people have it. And I know the Free League at least produce for all their things, both templates in InDesign and in Word. Yeah. And uh, Affinity Publisher, um, can read InDesign templates? So I use Affinity Publisher. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have the money to continually spend $30 a month because I need to use profits to pay rent and to subsidise my art habit. And I found that Affinity is very good value. There's just one thing it doesn't do, which is the ink values, the ink settings. And that's probably not going to be needed for most people. So I'm going to speak up for affinity there. But Nick, there's a book that you always swear by when you're talking about layout. Oh, Robert Bringhurst, The Elements of Typographic <laughs> Style. Oh, I it's haven't seen him look that happy since he was wonderful. last waving out any med the Any Medal at us. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's really nice. It's this gorgeous book that tells you everything you ever wanted to know about typography, font sizes, font choices, serifs and sans serifs. It's I would be picking it up from my desk 
next to me here were not my son doing typography at college at the moment and having there it. You go. <laughs> but it's 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 beautiful. There's there's almost cabalistic diagrams of the harmonies of different page layouts and how big the margins should be and why they're bigger at the bottom of the page than everywhere else, and where you can put your page numbers and where you can marvelous. put sidebars. It's a marvelous book. Absolutely but... gorgeous book made by somebody who loves his subject. And um you, you know if you're getting into this stuff, read Brinhurst will thank me. Yeah. And I, th- I think one of the best books on typography there ever is. But that's not what we're here about today. No. I'm just going to finish this interview now because we've gone on long enough. But I do. Diana, was that your first time at Dragon Meat? That was my first time at Dragon Meat. So thank you for coming to Dragon Meat just to talk on the panel. What did you think of it? It was a um, strange year for some of us so who were regular. I hate people. Right. And there are a lot of human beings present. But when I was younger, I used to earn money by being around people. So to me, that was quite a small crowd. Um, Mm. I liked what was on offer. I enjoyed meeting some people that I actually hadn't met before in person. So I got to put names to faces. I enjoyed meeting some people I had met before in person. Um, Nick showed me some awesome art. I mean, it was was a lovely convention. Mm. It's not the sort of thing that I usually go to, but I don't think that takes away from the fact it was actually pretty awesome. Uh, but but thank you very much for coming down to London and, and participating in the seminar. And thank you, as always, Nick, for, for, for doing the same and for putting me in touch with Diana. And um, well, just one more thank you to Lloyd, who would have told us even more about what rights protection and what's public domain and what isn't um, were he here. And he added that in the seminar. But um, thank you all. And we'll hopefully talk again in a not too distant future. Yeah, so that was really interesting. I mean, I was unlucky enough not to be able to go to the seminar on Saturday because um, somebody had to man the man the stall and do the actual job for what we were. Yeah, and then for. I invited you to this interview, but your internet was down as well. Sadly, so my are... internet was totally screwed. You know what? It was they'd upgraded the infrastructure uh, and uh-huh. the way they were they were sending the signal, uh, but of course the, the 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 connector we had at our end wasn't compatible with the new upgrade. Hmm. So basically, they they had to come and just replace. One bloody Anyway, so I was offline for a few days. <clears throat> Gladly, I'm back online now. But um, yeah, so that was a real pity to miss that because it would have been fabulous to have been involved in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But a couple of things in there that really, really kind of struck me. Um, firstly, the, the the idea of 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 doing a catalogue for yeah. um, for the free league workshop. <laughs> Don't make us do a catalogue, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure. I was going to say that we should. I think it's a great idea. And if 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 we didn't have anything else to do, then um, I, I, yeah, I could I can really see where it helps and where it meets the you know fits the market yeah. and all that, and it would be a really really useful thing for a lot of people to just dip into. Um, it, it feels to me, even though Nick was I think saying that it, it's not as much hard work as as you might imagine, it feels like it would be quite a lot of hard work mm, at the moment. Feel like, yeah. Um, so I think I'd love to do it, but I, I would need to clone myself first. Um, and that'll take 30 years. So, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, But I think the other thing that I thought was really interesting, and which we are seeing a bit, seeing, seeing a bit of, is the, the whole idea of collaborating more, getting, mm. getting more and more people together to, to work on products, rather than it just being you know, single people doing their own little thing. Which is obviously yeah. great as well, but some of those bigger products that are coming out um, are, are, you know, I, I think necessarily need to be the product 
uh, of a team effort because there's so much so much work needs to go into them to get them to the table. Yeah. Um, yes, I think collaboration. Sorry, that that big um was was me losing my train of thought, as you might have guessed. Uh, <laughs> you know, so we've done a little bit of, of that ourselves with the Coriolis calendar. Um, but yes, uh, I think yes. the big the big example, of course, is the community atlas. Yeah, and I yeah. think um, you know. So the RuneQuest guys actually have a whole separate Facebook group or something where they all get together and say, "These are my projects. Can anybody do art and stuff like that?" And I think yeah, that's that might thing. be a thing that um, we might um, talk Encourage. to some of the admins of the other Facebook groups and yes, and the and the collaborators and and our own patrons who are part of that collaboration network. Indeed, yeah, absolutely. Say, you know, should should we all get together and start something like that up? Um, uh, but I know you're running out of time, Dave, so I don't want to talk about it for that much longer. Uh, shall we cut to the end? <laughs> it's a very abrupt ending. So what, what are we going to yeah, do next? Yeah. Time? So so we, we found ourselves, because of um, Dragon Meat... Because this is of, a week late. Because of my internet trouble, we are a week late. Uh, we had a chat before the show, and we think we ought to try and stick to our standard two-week cycle. So we will be having a show next week, as well as this week. So, mm-hmm. um, what are you? You've got something in mind for next week's show. I have show, a thing for mind. I have a real blast from the past. I have a talent of the episode. Woo! Excellent. Good, good. Well, it's been such but a long time. I won't time. tell you what it is, because then... That'll spoil that, the That'll be all the content then. gone. But, but, but seeing it's been such a long time, it better be good, is all I can say. I think no, everyone's, everyone is now holding their breath, waiting for this talent of the episode. And it better be a talented talent of the episode, Matt. So... Right, I should be good, and and we shall do something else as well. I think probably because it won't be very long. Yes, times of the episode was never very long in the early editions, so it won't be no. a whole program. No, that's but fine. We'll, uh, um, we'll have a think. We'll think of something else. Uh, yeah, yeah, not sure what yet, but um, suggestions on a postcard to uh, all the usual locations. Cool. I think that is us done for today, then, isn't it? So um, that's without- um, just not on a postcard, but. You know, I know. Everyone Facebook knows what group, I mean. Twitter, they don't mean... Don't. <laughs> <sighs> uh, so I just thought I'd clarify. I don't think We don't needed. want any misunderstandings in communication now, Dave, do we? Uh, <laughs> no, and you are the one responsible for those kind of failings, so that's fine. Well done for clarifying that. That's cool. Right, on that note, I'm going to say goodbye, folks. See you next week. It's goodbye from him. <laughs> it was goodbye from him. And it's, and it's goodbye, goodbye from me. <laughs> You've been listening to the Effect <laughs> podcast, presented and by the icons. Help us end gods. this bloody episode. Music stars on a black sea. Use the permission of Free League Publishing. Bye, guys. Bye.